Welcome to the Gorgeous Strength Podcast. I'm Kayleen Smith, founder of GoTime Training, inspirational speaker, fitness expert, and lifestyle coach. Each week, I will bring you an idea or special guest that will help you bust through your barriers, get motivated, and live the life you love. Get ready to take your life to the next level to finally achieve your wildest dreams and radiate with magnetic energy every day. What are you waiting for? Let's go. Welcome everybody to the Gorgeous Strength Podcast. Today I'm very excited to talk to Dr. Kristen Marvin. I want to first introduce her though. So Dr. Marvin is a, is licensed by the state of Kansas to practice naturopathic medicine. She graduated National University of Health Sciences in Chicago, Illinois, one of the seven schools accredited by the Association of Accredited Naturopathic Medical Colleges. Her areas of practice include but are not limited to family medicine, preventative health, nutritional therapy, women's health, pediatrics, gastrointestinal health, thyroid and adrenal health, lifestyle and nutritional counseling. She was born and raised here in Wichita, Kansas, and she played college basketball at Friends University, where she was a two-time first-team all-conference player. Congrats. Ooh, thanks. (laughs) And when she's not working, she can be found practicing yoga, walking her dogs, or sitting on a patio with her husband, sharing good food and a glass of wine. That sounds right up my alley. I love it. I love it. That's awesome. (laughs) So I'm really excited to have you on today because I've worked with you personally, and I really love your approach to not just medicine, but lifestyle. So before we dive into some of the topics, is there anything further you want to introduce and just talk about when it comes to practicing medicine? Sure, absolutely. Well, first of all, Kayleen, thank you so much for having me on. I know every time that you and I get together, we um, love talking about topics like this that we're going to discuss today. So I've really been looking forward to this. Um, But, you know, I think um, I, I really love talking about what naturopathic medicine is and what I do as a naturopathic doctor because um, not a lot of people are familiar with naturopathic medicine. And so whenever, you know, people ask, well, what do you do? And I say, well, I'm a naturopathic doctor. I always kind of get, you know, a funny look, right? Like, well, what in the world is that? I know what a doctor is, but what's a naturopathic doctor? Um, so, and it's, you know, doing what I do in practice, it's really important for my patients to understand the approaches that I take um, so that I can help them on their journey towards optimal health um, and, you know, help them address any issues that they might be facing. Um, So with naturopathic medicine and with my degree, it was a four-year postgraduate program and um, somewhat similar to conventional medicine. You know, we learned all the different anatomy and physiology and biochemistry and pharmacology. And then we get into more of the clinical side of the medicine that I practice. This is really where um, naturopathic medicine turns into individualized medicine. So we really look at each person as an individual and we try to identify any areas in their lifestyle that may be negatively affecting their health. So instead of trying to just identify the disease that they might have, we try to identify imbalances in their lifestyle, like their nutritional intake, their physical activity, how much sleep they're getting, how they're managing stress. Are they breathing clean air and drinking clean water? All those really important things that can um, contribute to somebody's overall health. So that's really what naturopathic medicine is, is trying to get to the root cause and address what we call the determinants of health and help people build a strong foundation for overall wellness. So Yeah, I, and I love that approach. It's very much what we do at the Go Time Training Studio with our clients in changing the lifestyle instead of just putting a Band-Aid on it and masking yeah. the problems and moving on and then one day seeing that it's really amplified into something bigger than it was if yeah. you would have just fixed it. So 
Um, I know a huge component of what you do and work with on your patients is nutrition. So I've got mm-hmm. a list of questions that our clients are just dying to know. And I can great. tell them from my perspective, but I really think it's going to be great coming from your mm-hmm. perspective and a doctor's outlook. So the first one is what foods provide our body sustainable energy? Good question. Yeah. So, um, you know, when I talk with my patients and people that I'm working with and we're looking at how are people getting nutrition, what sources of foods are they utilizing on a regular basis to get good nutrition? Um, it might sound too basic, but it's really important that I help my patients understand the importance of just real food. So food that hasn't been modified from its natural state, food that doesn't have chemicals and preservatives and things uh, like that added to it. So getting back to the basics and looking at the foundational building blocks of what makes real food. Um, So hopefully, I'm sure probably your listeners will say, okay, well, real food is like meat, like chicken or fish or beef, um, and then, you know, fruits and vegetables, which uh, the options for that are almost endless. Um, and, and then, but more so I take that a step further. And what I really want my patients to understand is how those foundational building blocks found in foods. So I teach them about macronutrients like fats, carbohydrates, proteins. And then I also teach them about micronutrients. So like the vitamins and minerals that we also find in food. And once I break that down and maybe I don't, is that something maybe you want to go into even a little bit too? For sure. So I think a lot of people get stuck with, first and foremost, people don't know what a macronutrient or a micronutrient is. And then if they do, and I know I've been there too, they get stuck in meal timing and counting certain grams. And if you can dive into that, that would be really helpful. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah, so I, in my practice, I deal with a lot of metabolic issues. And I'm sure even at your gym, you have clients that have metabolic issues that you're trying to help them work through, right? Like, um, I'm sure people come to you just like they come to me, that they want to lose weight, they want to improve their body composition, they want to improve their energy levels, they want their skin to look better, et cetera, et cetera, right? Um, And so we take them through learning the macronutrients of fats, carbohydrates, and proteins and how the body recognizes those or metabolizes them and breaks them down and how that might affect like your blood sugar levels for someone that might get diagnosed with insulin resistance or type 2 diabetes, right? Um, And then in terms of meal timing, um, you know, I think that's a question that we get on our end a lot too. You know, how many meals a day should I eat? Should I eat three times a day? Should I eat six times a day? Like, you know, do I have to eat when I first get up in the morning? And should I not eat a certain number of hours before bed, right? So, and when we look at some of the research um, that's been done on that, um, and first of all, I have to say, unfortunately, the research is limited. I mean, diet and nutrition is not a heavily researched field. I think it's getting better and we can still find information on it, but it's, you know, there's not as much research as I'd like to say there could be. Um, but so what we do have is that the research is a little mixed. Um, and sometimes, you know, that can really happen with any type of, um, um, thing that you're trying to study or learn more about. You can really find data that might support either side of the story. So, you know, sure, I can pull a handful of studies that say people who eat breakfast, you know, have better metabolic markers and, you know, they might lose weight faster. But then on the flip side of that, we can find and pull research that says just the opposite, right? So what I really try to do, especially because of the type of medicine I practice, is take an individual approach. I'm sure you guys do that with your clients too. You break it down for each person individually. So I always tell people, I'm like, it's frustrating. I can't give you just like a black and white answer. But the most important thing is, is that we have to really find what works for you. Um, And, you know, again, kind of going back to and looking at what the data might say about meal timing um, for the average person who's really just trying to improve their health overall, 
maybe improve their body composition in terms of losing weight to not be overweight or obese, to help them reverse their type 2 diabetes or improve their cholesterol levels. The timing of when they eat a meal probably isn't quite as important as the actual macronutrients that they're eating, right? So how many carbohydrates are they consuming throughout the day? How many fats and how many proteins are they consuming throughout the day? But in, in your scenario, if you may be working with some other types of athletes that maybe have goals like in bodybuilding competitions and things of that nature, then we've got some data that says actually maybe the meal timing might be a little more important for those groups of people. So and maybe you might have a comment on that too. But um, for me and the general population that I work with, I get better health outcomes by helping them see that, you know, we need to be mindful of our carbohydrate intake and we really need to choose optimal carbohydrates. So we're not anti-carb. We just want to recognize that certain types of carbohydrates can lead to less favorable metabolic responses and health outcomes. So I really want to dive into that a little bit deeper because I, that's something that I love. And I think that so many people are truly confused on right now is how many carbs do I eat on a daily basis? What are good carbs? If, am I gluten intolerant? Am I not? Is gluten really a thing? Do I need to worry about it? So answering some of those questions, um, what is a healthy range of carbohydrates just for the general population and what are good carbs for them? Okay. Yeah. Those are good questions. Um, with the patients I work with, when I give them a general range of the amount of carbohydrates to consume in a day, um, usually I'm giving a range of anywhere from 60 to 80 and I call them net carbs. So net grams of carbs, because what I really also want people to focus on is not just the total amount of carbohydrates, but also how much fiber they're consuming. Because fiber is really important for a number of different things, but it's the component found in optimal carbohydrate choices like vegetables and some fruits that not only help in terms of managing our blood sugar levels, but it also really feeds our good gut bacteria. So it helps with healthy digestion too. Um, So that's really, you know, that's like one easy black and white answer I can give my patients when we say, well, what's an optimal carbohydrate? And really for all of us, the most important ones are vegetables. Um, And, you know, I tell people this should be fun. It should be exciting. Like you want to build a beautiful, colorful plate because we don't just eat with our mouth. We eat with our eyes and our nose and, you know, it's an experience, right? Um, and so really, you know, vegetables are something that the, you know, general or kind of a standard American type of a diet is just severely, severely lacking on. Um, and so when we look at that, I say, okay, 60 to 80 net carbs. So we're taking the total amount of carbohydrates you're consuming in a day, and then we're subtracting the amount of fiber. So, you know, I really want most of my patients to try to get at least 25 to 35 grams of fiber a day. So really, if you add that on top of a 60 to 80, you know, goal, we're really, we're really not trying to overly restrict carbohydrates just in general. And that's really considered just more of a lower carbohydrate type of diet. Now, obviously people might restrict more than that and try to get more into like a ketogenic type of diet where they're really eating a lot of healthy fats and very minimal carbohydrate intake. But I find that overall, when people try to do that, then we really kind of start missing out on some of our important micronutrients, like the vitamins and minerals that we get from veggies and some fruits. Um, And I always, you know, we always say like, eat your fruits and vegetables, but I always like to say vegetables first (laughs) to emphasize that those are more important. Um, And, you know, sometimes for my patients that really have difficulty with glucose metabolism or higher blood sugar levels, their bodies are really sensitive to fruit too. Um, So um, I know that oftentimes we'll get some nutritionists or dietitians or other healthcare providers, you know, kind of put a little bit of fear into people about maybe not eating a lot of grains, right? Or like the, the ever so popular ongoing you know, debate about gluten, right? Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I think that's something that's very individual. um, And I don't think it's just a simple um, nutrition conversation in terms of like, 
who can tolerate grains and especially the whole gluten topic too, right? But overall, you know, foods that contain gluten or wheat, which we know for maybe some of your listeners who aren't entirely familiar, we know that gluten is a protein found in wheat, right? Um, And so oftentimes when we're looking at optimal carbohydrates, sure, wheat products is considered, you know, a carbohydrate or different types of grains are considered carbohydrates. But when we look at the overall nutritional density of a grain compared to a vegetable, I mean, the vegetables really oftentimes are going to outshine, right, the grains. Um, And the grains oftentimes don't consume quite as much fiber per serving as a lot of vegetables do. So that's why I really tried to emphasize the importance of vegetables first and then look at, you know, something like, okay, well, let's look at can you even tolerate grains or what is your response to something like gluten? Because that's really a hot topic. Do you guys hear that question a lot from your clients? We do. And I think that some people are so in tune with their body that they know the moment that they eat bread or consume, Mm -hmm. you know, caffeine drinks that we're going to talk about here in a little bit, that their body is just off. And then other people, um, I, I feel like a large percentage of our society is living in a state of they don't know how bad they feel because they're mm-hmm. so used to consuming chemicals. That was me several years ago. I ate sure. processed foods. I ate out all the time, fried foods, McDonald's mm-hmm. and Pizza Hut was my staple growing up yeah. um, and cereal. Yeah. And I didn't realize how bad I felt until I started changing my nutrition. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, there's a few things that I'll talk through with people when, um, my patients have questions about, you know, like what's the deal with gluten, right? Um, so obviously we have one medical condition called celiac disease, right? And we know that celiac disease is a true allergy to the protein gluten found in wheat. And so when people who have true celiac disease consume uh, foods that contain gluten, their immune system sees that protein and just completely has a big time overreaction. And it can be very damaging to the lining of these people's intestines and it can cause significant health issues. So that's certainly one small percentage of the entire population that does have true celiac disease. Now, there's another, you know, a few theories that I and many others share as to what non-celiac gluten sensitivity is kind of the general accepted term for someone who eats gluten and they know that they don't have a good reaction to it, but they're not true celiac. Um, And so some of the things that I think could be going on um, can be anything from like what you mentioned um, just, just a few seconds ago about how a lot of those foods are processed and they contain chemicals and preservatives. And so sometimes I think it might not actually be the gluten itself that people are reacting to, but it's actually the junk that's found in foods that contain gluten. Cause I always tell people, I'm like, can you, you know, who goes and eats gluten or wheat and it's true unprocessed form? Like nobody does. Right. I mean, it's not like go out into our wheat field here in Kansas and, you know, chuck off the wheat and then eat a wheat salad, right? <laughs> so when we're consuming those foods, they're always processed. They're always modified, right? So I think that could be one potential reaction people could be having. Um, another reaction, and actually I just recently learned this from a colleague who was at a medical dinner with a gastroenterologist out of Kansas City recently, and they were talking about the microbiome, so our gut bacteria and yeast and, you know, these things can, um, they, or they, they definitely play a huge role in our overall health. They do so many different things um, from helping us to digest our food to absorbing nutrients and even producing certain vitamins um, and, and even being a, playing a huge role in our immune system. So there's a lot that we still don't know about the microbiome, but there's a lot that we've learned. Now, the balance of those bacteria and yeast in our gut can play a huge role too. And this is something that I, I do a lot of gut health in our clinic. Um, and so anytime there's an imbalance or sometimes even an overgrowth of certain types of bacteria in areas where we shouldn't have them, it can affect the way that we digest some of those different types of carbohydrates. 
Um, and you know, when we say carbohydrates, like that's really just a big umbrella term, right? For all different types of like simple sugars and substances that the carbs are essentially broken down into, right? And so one theory that gastroenterologists had was that people who don't respond well to eating gluten, but that don't have celiac disease might actually have what's called fructan sensitivity because wheat contains fructans. And so it, when we try to eat those foods, the bacteria kind of go haywire. We don't have the, the enzyme to break that down. And that's another thing that could potentially cause symptoms for people. Um, but I think overall, kind of my biggest take home with gluten is that it's probably something we should all, you know, consume sparingly, if even if we do tolerate it, because technically you're only going to be getting that in a processed type of food. So these people that are experiencing uh, digestional problems, what kind of signs and symptoms do they have? Yeah, that's another great question because the the signs and symptoms can be very vast and broad. So, you know, it can be anything from kind of the typical expected um, indigestion type of symptoms in terms of like abdominal pain, gas and bloating is a huge symptom that we see often, um, and alteration in bowel habits, so constipation and diarrhea. Um, you know, hopefully your listeners don't get offended by me talking about poop because I love to talk <laughs> about poop. And I talk about poop with my patients all the time. Um, and, you know, it always makes for a fun conversation in the office, too. Um, but gosh, your bowel movements t- can tell us so much about your gut health. And so, you know, oftentimes people say, well, you know, I only have a bowel movement maybe like three times a week. Um, and that's not normal. I mean, we should be having a bowel movement at least once a day. And technically what's actually considered normal is to have a bowel movement after every substantial meal. So, you know, think of how many people that have been, and I, I tell you, I hear this all the time. My patients will say, well, my other doctor told me it was normal. It was normal to not have a bowel movement every day. And I'm like, well, it's common, and there's a big difference between something being common and something being normal. Um, so, but I, you know, not just digestive symptoms, but people can have other symptoms too. Um, they can have joint pain, they can have fatigue and brain fog, um, they can have headaches, and they can have skin reactions. Um, so the list, you know, really doesn't discriminate against any part of your body because we're all connected, you know. Um, and that's one of the things too, that naturopathic medicine recognizes is that, you know, you could be, something could happen to one system that can affect another. Um, and, and in, you know, conventional medicine and and I used to work in conventional medicine. And so I know we did this, but we really tend to just focus on the system where it's like, well, your gut can't affect your brain, which we know is completely false. We know there's a huge gut brain connection, right? Um, but sometimes, unfortunately, that does happen for patients where, where just, you know, they, they might be dismissed for some of those things. So if somebody is experiencing any of these signs and symptoms that you just talked about, what are some of the steps that you take to correct that with them? Well, first of all, we always start with nutrition, right? Um, because we know how important it is what you put in your body. Um, it matters. And I can't tell you how many times I'm shocked when I have a patient tell me that their gastroenterologist said it doesn't matter what they eat for their digestive issues, which we know is, I mean, anybody, right? I mean, you just think about that statement. And even if you don't have any type of medical knowledge, you just kind of realize how silly that sounds, right? (laughs) Um, So I always start with what are we putting in our body um, and then I, t- I always take a very thorough history because things throughout our history or our medical history um, can certainly cause issues down the road. We do- it doesn't always have to be, oh, I had, you know, I had surgery last week and I didn't have my symptoms until this week or I had, you know, or, or I had a surgery years ago and now I'm just having problems. Actually, that can happen. So, you know, I look to see, gosh, did you have your gallbladder removed? Do you still have your appendix? Um, you know, what medications have you been on throughout your lifetime? Because, you know, we've got a lot of or one of the most commonly prescribed medications is a a medicine that blocks your stomach acid production. 
And that can affect the way that you're, you know, that you can not only digest and absorb nutrients, but it also affects your microbiome, the bacteria and yeast in your gut. Um, so, so I certainly look, I go way back. Sometimes we even go as far back as when they were born, you know, we're learning so much more about, you know, were babies breastfed? Were they given formula? Were they born vaginally versus C-section? All of those things actually matter. They can play, they can, they can play a role. So that goes down into even the stress that you're experiencing on a daily basis and your sleep habits. And we live in a world that is so go, 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 hustle, hustle, hustle. I used to live by the motto before I started coming to Prairie Health and Wellness of I'll sleep when I die. (laughs) And I tell you what, that was a huge change for me when I started working with you guys on no sleep is so important and when I got that down when I got control of my stress um my digestion changed and I was eating healthy so there's that's what I love about naturopathic medicine is that there's so many components that go into it and you look at every single one of those Right, right, exactly, exactly. Yeah, and to kind of, you know, flip and tie that back around into, you know, part of the the eating component and the nutritional part too, you know, I always like to dive into and ask people questions like, let's look at these types of things. So let's look at what types of foods you're eating. Let's look at why you're eating, right? I mean, are we eating just because we're hungry? Are we eating because we're anxious, because we're bored, because we're sad, happy? You know, looking at those components and even looking at how much you're eating. Because, you know, like what you said, when we live these types of lifestyles where we're just so busy all the time and we're go, 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 unfortunately, those foundational things that determine our health get the back burner, right? And, and we don't always put that connection together that that's really what's causing our, our health to suffer. Mm-hmm. So, so really kind of, you know, even going back to the mealtime question a little bit, um, you know, more so than like, you know, gosh, is it better to even like intermittent fasting? Have your clients ever asked about intermittent fasting too? Yeah, that's just one thing I wanted to ask you about, especially since we're talking about digestion What are your thoughts on intermittent fasting and what are your thoughts around that in giving the digestion a little rest from time to time? Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, I think going back to, again, the concept of everyone's an individual, so we have to take an individual approach on this, but I do think that intermittent fasting can be helpful for some people. Um, In some of the studies, um, again, not many in number, but in some that have been done on intermittent fasting, you know, it's been shown to have beneficial effects on certain types of hormone levels, like the hormone insulin, for example. Um, Insulin is the hormone that's responding to glucose or sugar in your blood. And um, we also know that hormone tends to be, or that hormone tends to be a fat storing hormone. So insulin, the more insulin you're producing, the more fat you can be storing. And so we show in people that do intermittent fasting or fasting for periods of time can actually have lower levels of insulin. So that would be one potentially, you know, beneficial aspect to fasting. Um, another thing that we can see is that it can actually help decrease inflammation or cellular markers that we look at for inflammation, because believe it or not, eating is actually an inflammatory or what we call a pro-oxidative process, right? So they've actually done a lot of really interesting animal studies on this, where when they've, you know, fasted or they've essentially, and it's always sad when I think about some of the, <laughs> the animals in studies, but you know, I, we always say thank you for your service, for helping us learn more. I, I have um, to interject for a second. If you've watched any of my Instagram stories, you see that we have yeah. a puggle and our puggle oh. is by far obese. So if she was part of one of the intermittent fasting studies, she would annoy the crap out of everybody. She would be like, feed me, feed me, feed me. <laughs> uh, well, don't, your, your puggle's in good company because unfortunately last time I took my dogs to the vet, they were classified as obese too. <laughs> so any, with that being said, in these animal studies that have been done when they've you know kept food from these animals they actually show beneficial anti-inflammatory changes in their cells. 
Um, and so, you know, I think that also I tell people is one of the most important reasons why we should eat foods that are loaded full of antioxidants, right? And the best foods for that are vegetables and some fruits, of course, you know, ideally some of the fruits that are a little lower in sugar. Um, so I always tell my patients that berries are best because they're chock full of antioxidants, good amount of fiber, and they're some of the lower sugar containing fruits. So when you're eating and you know that that's an oxidative process, um, you know, it just emphasizes the importance for eating foods that are high in antioxidants to battle some of that inflammatory response. Um, they've, they've also seen some changes in gene expression. So getting into the the wonderfully fascinating yet incredibly frustrating and complex world of genetics, um, you know, they've even shown that our environment can influence our gene expression. So we call that epigenetics. And um, diet, nutrition, the foods you're eating can change the way your genes are expressing themselves. So they found that there's been some beneficial changes that can take place with gene expression in groups of people that have been fasting. And then for some also, it was shown to increase their metabolic rate when they're looking at how people are burning, you know, the energy that we call a calorie. Um, some, some of the small studies have shown that that's been a benefit too. So, and then because of all those things that I mentioned, of course, the studies are also going to say, well, look, we actually found that it decreased people, um, their risk for things like different types of cardiovascular disease, like high blood pressure, diabetes, cholesterol, you know, so like people's triglycerides will drop. So those are some beneficial things too. Um, but I will say that I do have some patients that have tried intermittent fasting and it just really didn't work well for them. Um, and I think, you know, these are probably, um, um, I will say mostly women, um, you know, women and men were certainly different creatures and I'm sure, I'm sure most of your audience probably would just went, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> They're like my husband, da, 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 da. <laughs> Right. Yeah. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I get women in here that are just so frustrated and understandably so because they're like, well, my husband did this and just immediately drops 20 pounds and, you know, mine's a slower road, you know, because we, we are, we're different creatures. We, our hormones are completely different. You know, I always like to put a positive spin on it. And I tell women, I say, you know what, here's the deal, your husband or your man in your life, whatever it is, he's like a Chevy truck. Okay. This is like, take them to the shop, basic stuff. Now you, you're like a high end luxury vehicle. You're like a Maserati or a Ferrari. You, we just have a few more parts that we have to work with. And really, I think the biggest component of that is hormonal for women because our hormones are much more complex and it's a, it's a much more, um, intricate, you know, relationship that we're working with. Um, and so oftentimes I see the, 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 really it's a form of stress that's put on the body during that time of fasting doesn't always work well for women because, you know, I think most of the women and I'll even throw myself into this category for sure. Um, we're stressed, you know, we're busy. We have a lot on our plates. We're taking care of families. We're, we're working, we're managing a household, you know, so there's a lot going on and that can certainly be a huge contributor to why intermittent fasting might work well for somebody versus somebody else. Does that make sense? Totally. But I have a question because I just started implementing that in my life and I tell you what, I was so nervous to try it because I love food and I wake yeah. up in the morning and I'm like, all right, where's breakfast? I'm hungry. Feed me. But I wanted yeah. to give it a try. I'm always willing to try different things, especially if it can boost my health. If there are Absolutely. proven studies that it could potentially help me age gracefully or feel better or whatever. So I mm -hmm. tried it. And mm -hmm. going into it so nervous, I had no idea what I would experience and I tell you what, it's become a staple of my life. I, I fast every Monday and I do it until dinner. So I just go all day long. I do a normal workout. Mondays are my busiest day of the week. But I mm -hmm. found for me, and this is the beauty of nutrition and holistic health, that everybody's body is so different. Um, right. I find for me, I have so much clarity and focus on those days yeah. And, and my husband just started it too. 
I didn't think awesome. he was going to make it through the day, but he did. <laughs> and he said, you know what, babe, that was probably the easiest thing for me because I could focus 110% on my patients. I wasn't mm-hmm. hungry and I just got through the day and then it came to dinner that night and he wasn't, nor was I anxious to have dinner. Sometimes I'm like, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. Mm-hmm. And neither one of us were, well, I mean, we were kind of hungry, but we could have gone longer. So mm-hmm. what, what is that? Why is that? Yeah. You know, I think it's a great question. And I think it's a great experience for you to share for sure. Um, and, and I think that kind of goes back to maybe some of the things I was mentioning earlier too, where we know that, you know, in the studies that show that it decreases markers of inflammation, right? It drops your insulin level. It's making you probably making you, your you metabolically more adapted to burning like fat and running off ketones, which we haven't really talked much about. But, you know, that's, that's one of the big things when I kind of go back and talk to my patients about looking at the macronutrients and what you're eating over the period of a day. And that we know that if we're eating foods that make our blood sugar go higher, that that can negatively affect your brain and it can make you feel more cloudy and not as sharp. So that is something that we certainly see with people when they do, um, and if they do well with intermittent fasting, is that they feel much more focused, they have better brain clarity, and I imagine that that's probably coming from your ability to decrease the inflammation that we know that happens when we eat food, right? And then also potentially just that you're metabolically efficient, and so your body's able to use energy better probably more so in the form of just fat being broken down because that's a really good energy efficient source of, of, or a nutrient that our body can use, um, as opposed to just always being in need for sugar or glucose. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah. So with inflammation, it's been brought up several times throughout our talk today, Obviously, eating in excess or too much sugar can cause inflammation. What are a few other things that can cause inflammation in the body? Um, Do you mean in terms of like a dietary standpoint or just anything in our environment or anything? Anything. Just a few things that come to mind. Okay. Yeah. Well, certainly aside from the obvious dietary pieces of just the processed, refined foods that contain like the chemicals and the preservatives and additives. Um, you know, probably I'd say, um, one of the more common things that I might see in my clinic would be environmental exposures. So, um, and you know, we, we often think of an environmental exposure or a negative environmental exposure as being something like, if there was a gas or a chemical spill or, um, you know, if, or like, you know, what unfortunately happened in Flint, Michigan, right? Where they had lead in their, in their water system and were exposed that way. But actually the majority of people are exposed to chemicals in their environment every day that they don't even think about. So, um, and again, I'm not trying to pick on us women, but we're notorious <laughs> for doing this because we tend to use a lot of beauty products, right? And so even just the beauty products that you're using on a daily basis, so what you're putting on your skin, what you're putting under your armpits, what you're putting, you know, um, even spraying ourselves with fragrance um, is a huge source of inflammation for people. Um, so I think that's something that I certainly see on a regular basis. And just for the listeners, when somebody Mm -hmm. has a lot of inflammation in their body, what harm can that do? Oh yeah. Gosh. Um, it might be easier to say, you know, (laughs) what's, what's, (laughs) what can it not do? Okay. This can, yeah. What can it not do? Um, you know, this can, can, this can contribute to, um, you know, when we look at actually markers of aging, it can certainly make those worse. Um, it can certainly negatively affect metabolism, right? So inflammation will drive people to become more insulin resistant and be become, you know, diagnosed with things like diabetes. It's hard on the cardiovascular system so they can get high blood pressure, Um, it's actually been amazing. Some of the cases where we've discovered that someone's 
uh, high blood pressure was due to a heavy metal exposure, believe it or not. Um, so it can have negative consequences um, in that aspect. It can disrupt hormones. So when we're looking at things like testosterone and estrogen and progesterone, it can disrupt your body's ability to, uh, to make hormones. Um, and it can just really tank your immune system. So that's probably another area that I see most frequently in my practice is that people are always, they come in and they're just like, why am I always sick? I always have an upper respiratory infection. I always have strep throat. I always have an ear infection, you know, those types of things. Um, or I'm not recovering well. Like I, you know, I'm not recovering well from my workouts or I just had an injury. Like I just stubbed my toe and three weeks later, it still really hurts. Like, why am I not healing quickly? So it can even affect, you know, those, those components too. Okay. So I could ask you a million questions and (laughs) I think we're just going to have to schedule a time for you to come back on because there are so many more topics that you can just help so many people on this podcast with um, just by listening without even coming in to see you. I have a few more questions before we end today, though. Okay. Quickly, Great. one of the things that really bothers me right now is energy drinks. I see so many mm. people drinking them, whether they're sugar-filled or they're zero-calorie. Mm-hmm. What are your, what's your take on energy drinks? Well, I'm sure if if everyone's been listening to the whole podcast, they probably know (laughs) what my answer will be. But, you know, I mean, obviously they're just flat out horrible. I mean, they're just, I can't think of one beneficial argument that I could present for an energy drink. I mean, even if people said, well, wait, what if it gives me energy? That's good. That's what I need. You know, unfortunately, you know, the energy drinks that I'm familiar with, they're, they're chock full of, first of all, most of them have caffeine, right? And we know that maybe caffeine isn't necessarily the devil itself, but caffeine certainly has been shown to be a disruptor for a very important hormone called cortisol. And cortisol is a hormone that is produced by our adrenal glands, which are little glands that sit on top of our kidneys. And um, they also, those glands produce a number of other substances that are really important too. But predominantly, cortisol um, imbalance is what we see very often in our practice. And so unfortunately, something like the energy drink that might contain caffeine can disrupt your adrenal gland function that then it kind of like sets off a domino effect, right? So it's like the cortisol's out of whack, and then that can affect your sex hormones. So for women, they can have issues with PMS and breast tenderness and acne and you know painful menstrual cycles. And then you know men can also have issues with their hormones, like with predominantly testosterone. And I guarantee you, that's one hormone that men are not happy about if it's out of balance, right? Yes. <laughs> So, um, you know, certainly that can then reach to other areas too, and it can negatively affect your sleep. It can negatively affect your, your brain performance and your ability to think quickly and perform well and stay on task with things that you need to get done throughout the day. Um, so, so that's certainly one ingredient that can, that tends to be a problem for a lot of people, especially if they're heavily relying on those things, right? Now then, some of the other things that I find concerning about energy drinks are um, probably the next big thing would be the artificial colors and flavors found in those drinks. Um, Because what we know about some artificial colors, for example, is that they can cross the blood-brain barrier. So think of like the blood-brain barrier as like a protective shield for obviously a very important organ in your body, right? Um, and so what we found is that some of these artificial colors can cross the blood brain barrier and disrupt normal, healthy brain function. So that's another huge issue. I mean, I imagine all of your listeners probably think the brain is pretty important, right? So, yeah. So that's, that's another concerning factor. And then of course, a lot of them are full of sugar, whether it's, you know, high fructose corn syrup. And I'm sure there's probably even products on the market now that say, oh, well, our energy drink has real sugar in it. Okay, but it's it's still sugar, right? We're still going to get negative metabolic re- responses to that. But even some of the sugar-free options. So some of these artificial sweeteners that are used in energy drinks, 
Um, you know, I'll, uh, just a, po- a common, maybe more so popular example might be aspartame. And this is something that we find in like diet sodas too, right? Um, and unfortunately, that's a, it's a neurotoxin, meaning that it's toxic to your brain. Um, so again, you know, these people, when they consume these energy, energy drinks think, well, I'm getting this like short term gain, right. Or this short term benefit of like, okay, it gives me that little boost to get done whatever I need to get done. When in all reality, in the long run, they're probably causing more harm. Mm -hmm. So, um, I'm trying to think if I miss any other awful ingredient (laughs) in an energy drink. I think you may did it? Did I make the point? Okay, good. Did I? <laughs> okay, good. So my next question for you, since we spoke so much about nutrition today, I want to know yeah. what your top three favorite foods are for you personally. Oh, that's such a hard question because I'm like you. I just love food. I think I can <laughs> name one for you. Can I? Oh, try? okay. Yeah. Yeah. Avocado. Yeah. Wait, what did you say? I missed it. Avocado. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And actually, I, you you might you know me so well. I think I really do eat avocado every day. Um, I love putting it in my smoothies. I had some with dinner last night. Um, we made some grass fed burgers um, that you know I smothered with lots of avocado and had with some veggies. Um, I even had some, we had a, we had a staff meeting at lunch today and we brought in lunch and we ordered Jimmy John's. So this is, I love giving patients examples of how you can do fast food in a sense and still be healthy. And so Jimmy John's does this awesome thing where you can order a sandwich as an unwitch and they wrap it in lettuce for you. Um, and so my unwitch had avocado on it today. <laughs> now, okay, so I I think my favorite, other favorite food, um, in terms of maybe like a vegetable, especially we've been eating a ton of lately, are Brussels sprouts, which I'm sure I sound like a total nerd and a weirdo when I say that. But, I mean, roasted Brussels sprouts and especially Brussels sprouts with bacon. Yes. So So I have to tell you, Whole Foods right now, no matter what city you're in and you're listening to this, I'm sure your Whole Foods has it. They have shaved Brussels sprouts, so you can get them a little crispy in the oven and make Brussels sprout leaves out of it, and you could add the bacon to it or prosciutto. I've been adding prosciutto. So, so good. Awesome. Yeah. So I guess that's two. And, you know, I kind of feel like maybe I should give an unhealthy option. So people aren't just like, oh, okay, of course, health nut here. <laughs> just, <laughs> just eating, you know, healthy food. Cause I tell my patients that too, you know, um, we are all human, right? And so we need to be kind to ourselves and we need to learn how to have a healthy relationship with food. And we need to understand that what we choose to eat is a choice, right? So um, I would say I'm probably a sucker for pizza, you know, in terms of like an unhealthy food. But I tell you what, I love the fact that you can you can use different options for pizza to make it healthy, right? Or to make it more nutritious for your body, right? Um, so I will put a plug out for a new pizza place in town and I promise I'm not like a paid spokesperson or anything, but I do think this concept is really interesting, especially since we talked about gluten earlier. So there's a new pizza place in town called Piatto and they are a Neapolitan style pizza uh, place and they do the amazing, like kind of the flatbread style that's, that's made in the big, huge pizza ovens. Um, or stone pizza, wood fire type ovens, right? But what they do with their crust is that they ferment it for three days oh, wow. before they make their pizza. And we actually think that maybe part of that fermentation process actually breaks down that pr- uh, the, the pr- uh, protein, the gluten protein, and that people might be able to digest some of that a little bit better. So, um, you know, for, for some of your, some of your clients that maybe want to play guinea pig with themselves and they know they don't respond well to gluten, they maybe want to try that just, you know, and see, 
you know, how, how do I respond to that? But again, like that's a choice. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, it's something that, you know, I wouldn't encourage anyone to eat pizza every single day. Right. For sure. Um, but I do think that it's important to explore some of those foods that we really do love and how can we potentially make them a little more, you know, nutritious for ourselves when we do decide to consume them. And that's something that I love educating people on is that any food that you love, anything that you grew up with your mom making and it was just calorie loaded, um, carb heavy, whatever, like pizza, you can make in a healthier form. And I have to give a shout out too in regard to pizza because it's my husband's favorite. And he's like, you know what? Life just isn't life without pizza, but I still want to feel good (laughs) after I eat it. So right. we, um, we just tried cauliflower crust. I tried to make it in the past, yes. but it was a mess. And this place called caulifloverfoods.com, they okay. have pre-made cauliflower crust, and they're so easy to make. The pizza tasted so good. I was just, I was in awe. That's great. Yeah. That's another, I mean, that's a perfect example of how you can, you know, modify something that you want to really enjoy, but not feel terrible after consuming it. So I love that. I'll have to check that out. For sure. So for our listeners that are in Wichita and maybe they're looking for a doctor or they love what you said today, where can they find you? Yeah. So, um, I am at an amazing practice and I say amazing because I have such an amazing team that I work with of people, um, called Prairie Health and Wellness. And so we're on the East side of town. We're just off, um, 96 and 21st street over in the collective. Um, and so we also have a website. It's just prairiehealthwellness.com. And we also have a really fun Facebook page where we're always trying to add content and and talk about, you know, what's the latest in research and make it understandable and accessible for our patients. And then we also have a YouTube channel, too, where we've done some really fun, just short informational videos. And um, we also occasionally will do lectures in our office that are always open to the public And we try to post those on the Facebook page, but we also record those lectures. So you can find those on our YouTube channel as well. So wonderful. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. I know that the information you provided is going to help thousands. Well, thank you so much. And let's do this again soon. Thank you so much for coming on today. I appreciate you and the gift you've given to our listeners. You guys, if you love this episode, make sure you share it and please take a moment to leave me a five-star review. Until next time, make today something you will be proud of tomorrow.